Welcome to Unfurling, a podcast that explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, or actually just afternoon, Kat. It's oh, good it to see you again. Mm. Nice to see you too. <laughs> and nice to be back um, with you, our listeners. Mm. Yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, a slightly different episode today. Elizabeth, I'll let you explain why and we can go from there. Sure, yeah. So this is going to be a shorter episode. We had a plan and the plan was to, and still is, to release uh, an episode all about beauty. We've recorded one guest for that episode. We had another guest lined up and they've had to postpone for various reasons, but we will still be recording with that guest in May. So it means there's a slightly delayed release to that episode. And we thought, okay, what should we do? Do we do we wait? Do we just have a longer gap prior to the next episode? Or should we just jump on anyway and offer something else uh, in the interim? And that's what we've decided to do. So we're really seeing today as it's a short offering. It's us sharing a few thoughts that have come up about exactly that. So we we had some plans. We've had to change. So we're going to be thinking a little bit about adaptation how does that link to change? There's a few things that have been coming up for us, um, but it's a lot more spontaneous. The guides in today's episode are basically us. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of Ta-da. going back. Yeah, us. And it's basically, I guess, really going back to the feel of season one of Unfurling, which was mm. the two of us having a chat, right? Yeah. So that's what we're doing today. And I'm excited, Kat. I'm embracing the spontaneity of it. Yeah, me too. Me too. We'll see where our, our musings go in true unfurling style. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, so really, I guess we're focusing today on adaptation, adapting, adaptability, but also some other words we were talking about earlier, Elizabeth, were coming up for us, things like um, emergence, resilience, mm-hmm. you know, um, how, mm. do, how do we respond and react to change? Um, mm. So... I guess to start us off, maybe if we look at um, the word adapt, as that's Mm. been the word that we've been thinking quite a bit about. And so going to look at, to understand its meaning, adapt uh, comes from old French, meaning to fit and in brackets something for some purpose. That originally came from Latin and kind of as of 1956, the intransitive meaning is to undergo modification so as to fit new circumstances. Mm. And what that brought up in me, the new circumstances feels very, well, obviously relevant for this episode, very relevant in our world at the moment. I mean, I know we're always actually in a state of new circumstances as individuals and systems, but it feels with COVID, with climate change, with other kind of big systems, things going on, um, very pertinent. The undergoing modification part of that I kind of read initially as quite passive, you know, something that's happening to someone or something. Um, and I think here today we'll bring in an active element to that, that undergoing, that's something about choice. And we can go into that in more detail later. Um, mm. But that's, I guess, perhaps a helpful framing for ADAPT, so to undergo modification so as to fit new circumstances. Hmm. I sort of like that and cringe a little bit at that in equal mm. parts, I think. I, I like the idea of modifying and and um, 
sort of fitting circumstance. But it, all, it, it reminded me, this, I can't remember the exact quote, but there's a quote from Bruce Lee who talks about being like water. Mm, and yeah. like water, you kind of fit the shape of the vessel that you're in. Yeah. A few years ago, I really used to like the concept of be like water and I would write it on bits of paper and mm. think, be like water, yes, be adaptable and, you know, take on the shape of whatever's going on and, you know, be resilient and so on. But actually now like you say it feels quite passive and the thought of just having to kind of bend your shape almost to the shape of the thing you're being put into feels a I feel a bit powerless or something in that mm. and I I wonder if there's something around yeah which bits of adaptation can we choose and mm-hmm. how are we choosing modifications whether that's of ourselves and our own behavior or of society and we'll come on to that um and actually what is out of our control what's beyond our mm. sphere of influence is is it Stephen Covey who, who talks about that anyway the idea of you know what is your sphere of influence what can you control and actually yeah. what's out of your control mm. so yeah I, I kind of find that definition helpful and also a bit prickly in equal parts mm. yeah no, I understand that and it's um I think what I what we we talked initially about the kind of idea of looking at adaptation and adaptability and things like that. And I came at the topic thinking, yeah, that's a good thing, you know, to, to mm. adapt, you know, and let's look at what nature can, can teach us and that. And we, and we will look there. Um, a quote that I came across that actually felt quite challenging, um, interesting around this. It's a quote by George um, Bernard Shaw. And it goes like this, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world the unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. Hmm. And that that kind of shook me up, that quote. I was like, huh? Because <laughs> mm. I, I would be like, oh, yes, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. Well, that makes sense. Let's adapt. Mm. Um, and I think through our, our talk today, I think some of these questions might emerge. You know, what do we look to adapt to and where do we choose not to yeah that that adapting I can't remember the the quote exactly but the phrase that's just lodged in my head is that idea of adapting the world to ourselves Mm. um and that kind of the word that comes up there is arrogance actually um that, that we think we can do that and yet it also makes me think of you know when we talk about uh, a future oh present in which climate change is a reality and we think of adaptation versus mitigation and you know how do we how do we bend ourselves to a, a changing future but equally how do we tweak the tweak natural systems so that mm. they're more I was reading recently about um a study being done funded by some big well-known philanthropists looking at the impact of I think it was putting chalk dust into the atmosphere I'll find a reference for it to look at the impact of chalk in the atmosphere on how it deflects the sun's rays and therefore kind of cools the planet. Yes, it might cool the planet, but what about all the other things like, you know, increased respiratory disease or just Mm. hazy views and and all that. And it just, again, it kind of that idea of we're really trying to um, change some things that maybe shouldn't be changed. And yet actually have we forced ourselves into a corner by changing the climate so much that we have to think of these kind of ways of doing things. And there's something about all of that that I find terrifying. And yet, 
Yeah, going back to the quote you've just said, adapting the world to ourselves. I don't know, do, do we need to do that? Mm. Yeah, so already some big questions, Elizabeth, and we're only about five, ten mm. minutes in. Yeah. Um, so I guess perhaps if we lay some foundations um, using uh, what we can learn from the natural world, and then we can take things from there. So my thoughts when we originally talked about adaptation, went immediately to biology um, and quite frankly to 20 years before when I used to know more about it. Um, <laughs> so, um, but went back to kind of evolutionary theory and, and thinking about adaptation um, as a biological mechanism by which organisms adjust to their environments um, with their new environments or changes to their current environments. Um, and really in an adaptation from a biological perspective is a characteristic of an organism that improves its chances of surviving and or reprodu- reproducing. Um, kind of tied in with the idea of evolution by natural selection. And when we think about adaptation um, from that biological perspective, there are three kind of different types. So the first is behavioral. So those are responses made by an organism that help it to survive or reproduce. Then there's physiological, which is a body process that helps an organism to survive or reproduce. And finally, structural, which is a feature of an organism's body that helps it to survive and reproduce. And so, for example, the emperor penguin um, in the Antarctic demonstrates all three, actually, So just to give you a very kind of quick overview, um, if you take that behavioural one, an example would be um, the adult males huddling together during winter to help avoid heat loss and survive until spring, which, you know, obviously helps with reproduction down the line. Physiological, an example would be the males going without food for around 100 days, um, which allows them to survive during winter when there isn't food available. And structural would be them having a short, stiff tail. So they can lean backwards and balance on their heels and their tail, which reduces heat loss from their feet to the ground. Hmm. So just one of many, many creatures and other organisms that, that adapt. I guess when we, we thought about this, we, we thought, oh, we can go into so much detail about this. But actually, there's a question here about which parts to focus on, you know, in terms of our learning um, and also the time frame. So I think today, Elizabeth, we're going to be looking more at the behavior, you know, one angle is to look at the behavioral aspect of adaptation um, and to think about it from the individual and the collective lenses. Um, and we're also thinking about what can we do in our lifetimes, you know, in, in our individual choices um, and also how are we adapting as a species, you know, with that longer lens on thinking about essentially future generations? I think that's a really helpful framing, Kat. And I particularly like that kind of delving into the behavioural side of things and looking at the individual and collective. There was a quote I came across actually by Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, um, which is a brilliantly profound book. Um, he said, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Mm. And it kind of got, 
it just came to mind when you spoke about behavior as being one of the maybe kind of pathways to adaptation. And I, I think he's obviously speaking about the individual and we'll pick up on that in a moment. But actually what I wanted to think about was the collective and kind of collective behavior. Mm. Um, and a couple of things came up. One was, so I've got direct and not very nice experience of ants when they swarm together. <laughs> I was in um, Ghana once years ago and I was walking away from an evening event with a lady that I was with who um, lived in the local village and it was dark and our torches weren't working. What I can't remember, it was pitch black. Walking along and suddenly my whole right leg just fell into a hole in the ground. Gosh. Okay. And the hole was full of water. Mm. And I pulled it up. It being dark, I knew that my leg was wet. I thought that was it. But within a few seconds, I could feel something on my feet. And it was biting. And then it was coming up my leg. And it was mm. still biting. And then suddenly, just my leg was on fire. Um, someone shone a torch or a phone or something on. And my, my leg was swarming with these ants. Oh, wow. Okay. Looked back at the pool of water. And there was this raft of ants over the top of it that I had broken and they decided to get revenge by eating my leg um but but so my point is is um well that story came to my come to came to mind but it's just really about that kind of behavior of the ants so Mm. an individual ant on its own doesn't do very well in water but when you when ants uh, kind of exhibit collective intelligence mm-hmm. um, they create a raft structure or a ball depending on the situation mm. and they can survive and they adapt mm. and it's it's something about being more than the sum of its parts you know so I, yeah I think of ants when I think of collective adaptation and, and collect, collective behavior that that mm. maybe um, points to adaptation there's also a book that that I have that I like by um, Margaret Wheatley, who and she's an author and talks about leadership and um, she's very reflective. I really enjoy her writing. I have a book of hers called So Far From Home. Mm-hmm. The title is Lost and Found in Our Brave New World. And there is a chapter on emergence. And I'm just going to read a couple of sentences and, and quotes from this chapter and I will reference it in the show notes. But then perhaps we can just reflect on that. Mm. She starts off by saying, this troubled, troubling world that we've been working so hard to change for all these years is a world that has emerged. This is, she says, this is a seemingly innocuous statement, but it has profound implications for us and our work. This world did not materialize from plans, conspiracies or randomness. It came from life's process of creating new and more complex systems. Mm. And she goes on to look at some of those systems. She says, any complex phenomenon is viewed as a machine built from many separate parts. But then she goes on to challenge that and says, actually, it's the interaction of the parts that give something its kind of identity and and behavior. And she cites the example of the Human Genome Project, which was a sort of multi-billion dollar uh, project in in the 90s. And the, the, the purpose is really mapping the human genome. And she says... The mapping was highly complex, requiring enormous high-speed computing, but the basic theory was simple and mechanistic. Genes were switches. Once their functions were identified, they could simply be turned on and off to do what we wanted. Although mapping continues, the critical discovery from the Genome Project was that genes are not simple switches. 
DNA is a set of complex relationships of proteins and other biochemicals that interact with genes to create inheritance. Heredity is the result of multiple interactions, an emergent phenomenon. Mm. And then just finally, she says, I mean, the chapter goes on, but the other sentence I liked, emergence is how life changes, never from just a single cause, but from a complexity of many causes and parts interacting. Life is messy, a reality we continue to deny. And I resonate with that. Life is messy. I think, you know, we came into this episode thinking it's a messier episode than usual. It isn't, doesn't have the sort of quite same structure and plan. It, it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't planned, right? It was messy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that idea of parts interacting mm-hmm. to create a system, to create complexity. And therefore, if we're thinking about, you know, how do we adapt as a collective? It isn't simply about looking at our individual roles and all mm. syncing them. It's actually what is going on between us and, and what do relationships look like? And um, what is the alchemy or the tension between things? Mm. And how do we look at that? So that kind of space between, I find fascinating, the interactions of things or people. And I think when we think about adaptation, that's important. You know, some of, some of behavior is predictable, but some is unpredictable. And it depends on unpredictable interactions, um, which can be a good or a less good thing. Yeah, it was a couple of things come to mind when you, you talked about that. When you were telling the story about the ants, I, I always kind of saw that as a beautiful metaphor for like big things that have happened, mm-hmm. you know, and for all of us in the last year with COVID as being your your foot, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. disrupting all us ants on, you know, as humans on the ground and mm-hmm. and how there have been beautiful demonstrations of humans coming together, you know, but also that there also have been, well, there's a feeling at least of increased anger and you know mm. and division in certain ways mm. um so it's interesting about how how do we collectively adapt can we you know collectively adapt and what do we need to to really not just think about but actively bring in when we're thinking about adaptations um i read an article um let me just bring it up about um climate change projects so mm. um it's, uh, it was saying that many internationally funded projects aim at combating the impacts of climate change can actually make things worse mm. by reinforcing, redistributing or creating new sources of vulnerability in developing countries. Um, this is a review that was led by the Norwegian University of Life Sciences um, and the University of Oxford. And an example that they cited here was um, resettlement policies, for example, um, being amongst the most extreme cases of top-down interventions, um, which can actually introduce vulnerability, for example, with pastoralists when they're forced to shift to more marginalised livelihoods um, and relocated people who can lose their land rights. So it's kind of, you know, when when I think about climate change projects, I'm assuming that that's going to be great and good, but actually, you know, if we're not taking into account um, dynamics like power, even colonialism, things like that, you know, how are we actually thinking about that and bringing in all voices? Um, mm. How successful can we be? Mm. Yeah, and I think that's it's challenging, isn't it, mm. to to go into that because you kind of can't talk about it without recognising that whether it's the imbalance of power or whatever it might be. It reminds me of, you know, in the UK, even work to offset carbon emissions one of the one of the ways of doing that is to 
tree planting projects for example in other countries mm. some projects are great some are less great and um but there's something about kind of you know you tick the box you've said you've offset your emissions mm. and actually you don't have to think about what it looks mm. like yeah. whether it's doing good or bad and I mean we do look at what it looks like and you have choice over what projects you support but worst case you know doing something over here thinking you're doing good by offsetting and so on can cause all sorts of damaging consequences in another place but out of sight out of mind you don't have to think about it if you don't want to so yeah it's that kind of what is the ripple effect of our actions even if they're well-intentioned and it goes back to that interaction of parts within a system I guess it also makes me think about um the the current state that we're in so in the UK we're slowly coming out of lockdown um conscious you know we have listeners all over the world now and we are all at different stages with this um but something that Elizabeth and I were talking about before we we got on air was you know how do we want to adapt both individually and as a society to this emerging from this this last year knowing that we may go back into lockdown in the future we don't know my hunch is or my sense is that there are almost like three strands there are some people that just want to get straight back to normal they just want to you know how things were um that worked for them they knew how it it was there seems to be another branch people that really want to have real change you know let's really look at the systems and think about how we can do things differently um, and adapt um have a new normal and then there are people in the middle you know that that kind of quite like some of the old and um and, and the familiarity and the comfort that brings but also know that will that serve us in the long term and so what can we look to change um and that it feels like really important questions to be thinking at this stage yeah i think that um i think that's it it's up is there or will there be tension between those ways of now seeing the world post mm. or still in the midst of a pandemic there was a photo that we both saw of a view of part Mm. of the Himalayan mountain range from somewhere in India and it was the photo was taken 200 kilometers away from this view of the Himalayas and it's a view that hasn't been hadn't been seen for 30 years I think Um, and that's because pollution had lifted and thinned out during the pandemic Mm. and it felt like a real metaphor you know we've glimpsed literally something possible whether it's a beautiful mountain range, a new way of being, whatever it is, now we've glimpsed that. Do we do we do we want to maintain that and think? Okay, what's possible? How do we? What are we choosing to take forward? Or do we kind of go back to business as usual and creating whether that's efficiency or profit or just whatever systems that had kind of created such a polluted world in the first place? And there is something about the tension between those two ways of seeing what could be next after Mm. pandemic you know yeah I'm kind of curious how that links to adaptation and individual and collective behavior Um, because even if as a even if as an individual we're choosing okay I'm going to take this forward and I'm not going to go back to how I used to be you're still part of a collective and unless the whole group society or whatever chooses that way forward is it in vain? I don't know. I don't know. But I, I feel that tension starting to emerge already. And that feels about vision. What What is our vision here um, for the world, for society? And, and obviously that will depend on, you know, where in the world we are. And we all will have individual 
different visions. But there, there feels like some pull here, and it, it reminds me of um, Simon Sinek's work where he um, talks about the the infinite mindset. What that does is is to help us learn and continually assess, reflect, strategize, um, and adapt rather than hoping to figure out, set it, forget it. And behind that is the importance of a vision and moving towards that. He talks about it in terms of games as well. It might not be the same players. Organizations don't have to have the same leaders throughout. Um, So there's something here about us as a society, us as individuals, like what are our visions, purpose that are driving us so that we can kind of be quite thoughtful um, in how we adapt individually and collectively when things either happen like your foot you know you know I kind of keep on thinking mm. so it's like slightly Monty Python-y you know like yeah yeah just <laughs> I, kind of, I really like this metaphor yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when Elizabeth's foot disrupts the world um, oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so that perhaps there's some work there for us to think about mm. That idea of having that vision that we're working towards, it makes me think of um, a book by Rob Hopkins, who was in, is instrumental in the Transition Towns movement, mm. um, which is sort of about creating sustainable towns and places. He, his book, I think it came out last year, is called What If? Um, no, sorry, it's not. It's called From What Is to What If? Unleashing okay. the power of imagination to create the future we want. Mm. And it sort of talks about, well, exactly that, the power of the imagination. Like, how are we using that to, to, to visualise the world and then moving towards it? And I think we don't use enough imagination mm. when we're thinking about complex challenges, actually. It feels a bit sort of fun and light and childish, but actually mm. it's wonderful. And I know, you know, in coaching, we use, you know, visualisations and yeah. um, guided meditations whatever it might be to help somebody or a group step into that future version of themselves Mm. and I think it's powerful yeah and I love what that points to about creativity because yeah I mean going back to the beginning of the episode when I was thinking about adaptations I was thinking about it from a very biological perspective and I think there is there is value in doing so and yet there can feel quite scientific side to that or strategic more business perspective Mm. um both valuable and there's that more creative fun side and so yeah I guess it's really welcoming that into our individual thinking our collective thinking um as we as we look at adaptations and adapting and you know what we want to adapt to what we're consciously choosing to and and what we're we're not looking to Hmm. um not totally connected but just the other thought that comes up when I think of adaptation is it's kind of connection to the wider umbrella of resilience and mm. that ability to kind of recover or bounce back. Um, I guess I was thinking that in the context of, you know, we've been talking about the pandemic and people mm. are talking about recovery and bouncing back and there's something mm. about resilience. Um, and and I, it makes me think too of, you know, diversity and symbiosis and all these other things we can mm. learn from nature about interdependence, yep. about you know, coexisting um, complementary skills and strengths and so on, which kind of maybe comes back to your point on creativity and, mm. you know, how, how are we creatively looking at, at opportunities actually for collaboration, coexistence, understanding our niche and, and our strengths and how that fits to different ways of being in the world. And when I think of resilience, I also think of 
I guess generally kind of breaking out of silos. So, so you know, there's medical health, there's animal health, there's there's environmental health and planetary health, and yeah. I, I feel like it's shifting. But historically, those things have been looked at quite separately, and now people are beginning to connect them. So whether that's through the sustainable development goals, which actually are quite like it's an interwoven set of 17 goals there are concepts that encompass this like one health which looks at exactly that you know planet people animals and there's something about you know maybe resilience broadly but but adaptation you know how do we how do we adapt and learn from and therefore coexist with other ways of being that maybe we've historically had no connection with because we're, we're going to have to and I think that's something that's come up in the in the last year. You know, global pandemic is a, is a example of that. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess as we start to wrap up, I'm conscious we we said this was just going to be us almost like popping up <laughs> in this episode quite spontaneously, and we've actually thrown a lot of ideas, yeah. uh, concepts, Words. questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we'd also like to leave you just with a couple um, to think through. So thinking about questions, something that comes up for me is I think connected to the, what we were talking about in terms of creativity. So mm. what, are we, what are we choosing to take forward collectively and how can we maybe creatively look for opportunities in that? So if that's literally bringing more creative thinking into collective decision-making and into the arenas of that, whether that's government or organizations, business, can we be can we be creative nature is creative how can mm. we channel some of that creativity as we look for opportunities to adapt and step into a future um mm. and create that future yeah yeah and I guess it's kind of what what future we're looking to take forward and what bits are we looking to kind of leave behind mm. yeah and for me I guess a question kind of comes down to more individual level because I'm conscious we don't have the answers, you know, we may have some opinions here and there, but actually mm. this is big stuff we're talking about and, and could seem overwhelming in some ways. So mm. just really stripping back it all um, and thinking about choice and about kind of consciously choosing. And so really mm. playing with the idea of adapting. So it would be like, what's one thing you could choose to adapt to or choose not to adapt to? And it, it could be about nature. It can be something completely different, just something that's happening in your life. But almost just playing with that idea of adapting and experimenting with the idea that you can choose. Mm. And going right back to the beginning is the active mm. bit, isn't it? What, yeah, what yeah. are we choosing and, and actually what's out of our control? Mm. And how do, we, how do we come into that? Yeah, particularly in new circumstances. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> well, there we go. There we go, everyone. Spontaneous <laughs> episode. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. I think we, yeah, we, we touched on quite a bit there. Yeah. Um, and we were the guides. We were the guides. Yes, indeed. That didn't totally uh, know where we were going at the time, <laughs> but still went off the beaten track. <laughs> So on that note, um, thank you very much for choosing to listen to us today. Um, we really appreciate um, hearing who's listening to us. It's, it's really fun hearing from people around the world. And um, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Um, and we look forward to being with you on our next episode. But for now, uh, we are unfurling 
a podcast that explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire. Thank you, listeners. And thanks, Kat. See you next time. See you next time.